Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Faith Lutheran Church. My name is Candace Wassell. I'm the pastor here at Faith. It is such a joy to have you visit with us. You are welcome, so welcome in every part of Faith's community. You are welcome to join us in person at worship on Sundays. You're welcome to visit us online. You're welcome in our mission and our fellowship, and most important, you are welcome at the Lord's table. The first reading today is from Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Though God provides food and water for the Israelites in the wilderness, they whine and grumble. They forget about the salvation they experienced in the Exodus. God punishes them for their sin, but when they repent, God also provides a means of healing, a bronze serpent lifted up on a pole. Beginning at the fourth verse. From Mount Or, the Israelites set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, but the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that they take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent and set it out on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. So Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole, and whenever a serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. While we were dead in our sinfulness, God acted to make us alive as a gift of grace in Christ Jesus. We are saved by not what we do, but by grace through faith. Thus, our good works are really a reflection of God's grace at work in our lives. Beginning at the first verse. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand to be the way of life. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the people who came into the world and people who loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. The Gospel of the Lord. We'll grace you and peace from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, is one of the world's top universities, especially if you are an uber science or math nerd. That is where you want to go. MIT. It's known for its incredibly competitive engineering, chemistry, and physics departments. Now that's all pretty much common knowledge, right? You guys all kind of knew that. But did you know that MIT students must pass a swim test before they can graduate? They must pass. That's every year. Hundreds of soon-to-be scientists and engineers who will probably never set foot on a beach because they're going to be in labs, line up at the university pool, jump in, and swim 100 yards before they can get their diplomas. You can do it any way you want. You can backstroke, you can freestyle, you can doggy paddle if you want. You just have to get through those 100 yards. John 3.16 is kind of like a Christian graduate swim test. Whether you're going to be a pastor, a teacher, or an accountant, whether you're a Baptist, a Lutheran, or a non-denom, you better know John 3.16, right? It is the litmus test. And I am positive the first service was able to do it. I'm sure you can do it with me. Let us, let's say John 3.16 together just to prove that you're all Christians and can swim. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You've done it. My job here is done. What's interesting about both the MIT swim test and John 3.16 is that if you push on them a little bit, you will find some inconsistencies. Like there really is no good answer anywhere on the MIT's website for why they still have this swim test. It developed in the 1940s in response to uh, massive drowning casualties in World War II. So uh, America's universities took it upon themselves to make sure that their graduates could swim to kind of answer to this problem. Well, you know, soon that kind of fell out of necessity, you know. But MIT kept this swim test. And about the best thing that they can come up with on their, face, or on their website, rather, is a kind of a cross between how it's an important life skill and some kind of tenuous attempt to correlate swimming skills with problem solving. It's really inconsistent. And yet they keep it. And if you push past John 3.16, where God's love for the whole world sounds so heartwarming and universal. If you push past that just a little bit to verse 18, you start to hear some things that aren't heartwarming and universal. 
You start to hear about parts of the world that aren't going to be feeling love, but condemnation, drowning in condemnation. And so you got to start asking yourself, well, which is it, God? Do you really love the whole world? And if you do love the whole world, how can you condemn parts of it? And who exactly are the ones in the light versus the ones in the dark? And you could argue that God gives you a pretty simple formula to follow. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. But don't you struggle from time to time understanding what that means? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does that look like? I know on any given week, i got to sort that out in my head at least ten times. I would prefer for God to just be consistent and obvious. I would prefer our God to be like Nike. Not Nike, the shoe company, but Nike, the mythical Greek goddess who personified victory. That is what that word Nike means, victory in Greek. And in Greek mythology, Nike is this beautiful winged goddess who flies over battlefields and drops golden laurel wreaths on the victors, on those who have shown extreme bravery and killed the most people and still lived. Now, wouldn't it be nice if our God was that obvious? Flying above us, dropping little crowns on our heads the very moment we get it right. I hope I would have like five or six crowns by now. At least we know that God is paying attention to what's going on down here. And that God is responding in some way to us getting it or not getting it. And at least we know who to trust and who are the good guys and the bad guys. But our God isn't like that. Our God's words can be veiled in mystery. They can sound inconsistent. And his love, let alone his presence in the world, is not always obvious. And we don't like that. And we can find ourselves fixating on God's inconsistencies. And we always have. That's what the Israelites are doing in the Old Testament reading that Jessica had for us. They are fixating on God's inconsistencies. How can you say you love us and want a better life for us, they're asking God. Why have you brought us out of Egypt just to bring us here to this desert and give us detestable food and plain old water to drink? It's funny because they're the ones misbehaving, but it's God's inconsistencies they're paying attention to. I remember, um, <laughs> this is a very charitable memory of my son Garrett, but I had gone to his room, and I was like, son, I asked you to clean this up. He's like six or seven years old. I asked you to clean up this room. It's messy. He's like, okay, mom, I'll get to it. And as I'm leaving, walking out of the room, he's like, mom, maybe you should comb your hair. Right? Wasn't dealing with his own messes, right? Wanted me to deal with mine. I think sometimes it's the easier path to take, to focus on God's inconsistencies so we don't have to be honest about ours. I mean, why not fixate on why God lets bad things happen to good people so that I don't have to think about how terrible I can be to myself sometimes, how uncharitable I can be about myself, how, how I can drown my own self in shame. I don't know, I'm, I think I'm a good person. Or isn't it easier for us to fixate on questioning how a loving God could possibly welcome the crucifixion of his own son 
rather than deal with the fact that I fritter away my time on a gaming addiction when I should be spending it with my own child. God, why are you treating your son so badly? We have this entire foster care system out of control. And for goodness sake, why would God give us free will and then be so angry when we exercise it? Why would God make sin such a big punishable thing, knowing how broke we are? That's a question I'd rather ask of God than to be honest about how long I've held a grudge on my ex-husband. We'd much rather focus on God's inconsistencies than our own. And for the Israelites, that's why God sends snakes. They refuse to be honest about their own issues, so God sends snakes to bite them, so at least they have to physically focus on themselves for a second. Pay attention, people. It's about you. And that is seriously uncomfortable for them, and it is seriously uncomfortable for us to have to look in the mirror and deal with our inconsistencies. But that is exactly what the season of Lent, a season of repentance, calls us to do, to be honest, to look at our lives and be honest about the dark places we hide in. And that's tough. But the good news for us is that the season of Lent doesn't just hand us a mirror and say, go ahead, have a good look at yourself, you big mess. That's not all it does. The season of Lent also hands us a pretty good story of what happens in one person's life who is honest about the darkness. One person who risks showing Jesus his inconsistencies and sees what Jesus will do with it. It's the person that Jesus is actually speaking this really famous text to. Jesus isn't just proclaiming this out. Jesus is speaking to someone very specifically in John chapter 3. Nicodemus. It's Nicodemus. A man who knows that what he's been hearing from Jesus this whole time on how he should be living is completely contrary to how he's been living this judgment, judgmental, rather, self-righteous Pharisee life. And he's so ashamed of how he's been living that he waits until nighttime to come talk to Jesus. In case you didn't know, it's nighttime in this text. And that's when Nicodemus shows up and says, Jesus, I've got a question. As if darkness will cover up his issues. But even if darkness could cover up his issues, his name would betray him. Nicodemus. Do you hear anything in there? Nike. Nike demos. Nike meaning victory. Demos meaning personal. Personal victory. Nicodemus is in this life all for himself. He is in it for his own personal crown of glory. His name betrays it. It's not an accident. And I'm guessing he's like other Pharisee priests who have amassed these huge fortunes at the expense of their neighbors. That's who Jesus is talking to in this moment. And when Nicodemus puts down his sin at the feet of Jesus here in the darkness, Jesus doesn't just stand there and do nothing with it. Jesus picks it up for him and says, come with me. And Nicodemus follows him through the entire gospel of John. You go home, look at John. 
And you'll see Nicodemus following Jesus this whole time. First he comes in the darkness. About midway through John, he'll come, come when it's a little bit lighter. And at the end, there he is in the full light of day with Jesus. He follows him through this entire gospel, watching him feed hungry people, eat with the outcasts, show mercy to sinners, heal the heartbroken and sick. He follows Jesus all the way to the cross and to the tomb. And with every step that Nicodemus takes in following him, Jesus moves this one man from darkness to light. He shows Nicodemus what victory really looks like. It's not a golden laurel wreath. It's a crown of thorns. It's the meaning and purpose you find in living and sacrificing for others. That was Nicodemus' journey from dark to light. He needs to let go of the sin of total self-involvement. That is what Jesus can do with one man's willingness to be honest. Those are his issues. Those are his inconsistencies. Lent is a time to come to terms with what ours are, each of us. There's a specific Lenten journey set aside for each of us. And Lent is a tough season. It is hard to voluntarily submit ourselves to this personal reflection. I know you all hope to come here today and hear a sermon about oatmeal raisin cookies. That was going to be really joyful and uplifting. And here I've given you this Lenten sermon telling you, just have some courage and humility. And that is tough to submit yourselves to. But know this. Courage and humility is met with mercy. It is met with love. And the good news is that you won't have to pass a swim test at the end of this season. Actually, it would be better if you don't. It would be better for us to allow whatever inconsistencies, whatever sin, whatever shame, whatever self-abuse we're doing to ourselves, whatever things we need to be honest about, we just let those drown. We let those be taken to the cross that Jesus is heading us toward this Lent season. And we allow him instead to bring to the surface the joy and the peace and the light we are capable of. Because those are the good works that have been set aside from us from the very beginning. Thanks be to God. Give us courage and strength to walk it. All the way to Easter. Amen. The most valuable message we have to share at Faith is the promise we have in Jesus. We come together every Sunday to share this good news in the reading of Scripture and sharing of Holy Communion. It is these two acts of worship that we learn of the forgiveness, peace, and joy that Jesus has won for us on the cross. These gifts also belong to you, and we hope you will feel welcome to receive them. After we've shared worship together, we trust that we are ready to be sent out into the world to serve our neighbor, and you're welcome to join us in that great work as well. There are so many opportunities at faith to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. It's what we feel called to do. It's what we're passionate about. Above all, I want to encourage you in your faith. No matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, you are welcome to visit faith as often as you are able. But whatever you do, keep searching. There is a church family set aside just for you, and I trust the Holy Spirit will place you right where you need to be.